<clears throat> Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to be at it this morning. And uh, I can't remember when I started preaching on the seven churches, but we had an introduction. We've preached on all seven churches. Now I want to have a conclusion, a little bit of a wrap-up, and uh, have us look at some things that we can think about. And uh, as an overall picture, as we look at these seven churches and looked at a lot of the lessons that they teach, help us to look at these things and look at these things as, as great treasures and nuggets of gold and precious pearls that we can take and say, hey, these things please God and these things displease God. So we're going to try to do that this morning. And um, I ought to have you to lunch at around 3 o'clock this afternoon, and that'll give you time to eat and come back for our service at 6. Just teasing. At least I got one laugh back there. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 is where we see the seven churches mentioned. And Jesus is very good at giving a compliment when a compliment is due. He is also good about not giving unnecessary flattery and telling the truth. We have seen over and over again in his seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor here in Revelation 2 through 3, those things where he may compliment them or he may rebuke them and say, hey, I got this against you and you better get it fixed. So we're going to look at some of those things. And for our introduction, I just wonder, what would Jesus say to us? What would Jesus say to Monroeville? And I ask that every time with each church, but I ask it again. Jesus, he might compliment us for not accepting false prophets like he did the church in Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, it says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Verse 6 says, Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I think I wrote the wrong verse down there instead of verse 2. How about uh, verse chapter 2, verse 2? I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. And you found them to be false. So we see here that he may compliment us for not accepting false prophets. For not accepting people like the Nicolaitans. And people that are doing evil. Or those who are calling themselves apostles, and they aren't apostles. They're not teaching what is right. You know, Jesus, he may compliment us for recognizing true Jews. Down in verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You see, they were able to recognize true Jews. And they were able to see those who really weren't Jews, really weren't trying to follow God's word. But they were actually 
there with the synagogue of Satan. And they're doing bad things and doing things against the Christians. And the world that's going after them and trying to uh, give them tribulation and persecution. They're right along with them as they persecute the church and, and even try to do it in a religious manner. Well, Jesus might compliment us for holding true to his name and not denying the faith like he did there in chapter 2, verse 13. Notice there, it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. You see, he knows where Satan dwells and he, you know, he tells him, hey, you didn't deny my name. You didn't deny the faith. Just like Antipas, maybe there was a man, his name was Antipas. And uh, where Satan dwelled and where the bad people dwelled, they kept trying to get him to deny the faith and deny the name of Jesus. And he wouldn't. And they martyred him and they killed him for his faith. You know, Jesus may compliment us for growing in many areas of spiritual life, like it says there in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. And that your deeds are of late are greater than at first. You know, when they first became Christians, man, they've been growing. They're learning. And what's he say there? He says that they're growing there in their love and their faith and their service and in their perseverance. The things that they have to deal with. Man, that's, that's a great compliment there. And there's also this special cleanliness of a few of the members, like in Sardis, in chapter 3, verse 4. It says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You see, he may compliment us for having a few members that are, that are clean, haven't soiled their garments with the things of this world, the sins and so forth. And they're walking with Jesus. And they got these white, pure garments on. And they're worthy to walk with him. And then also in chapter 3, verse 10, we see that he may compliment us for perseverance, like he did there at the church at Philadelphia. It says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So what would Jesus say to us? Maybe he'd compliment us like some of these compliments that I mentioned here uh, in these seven letters. Or he, he may sum up society like he did with some of these churches. He may sum up their city or their nation or their environment or their neighborhoods and the world that they were living in. You see, he knows that we live in a humanistic society today. We live in a sports-crazy society, a pleasure-mad society, a money-hungry society, a sin-crazy society, a life-is-cheap society. What do you mean life is cheap? Well, we're the most 
innocent, good place in a mother's womb. It's not sacred. And those babies can be killed. You see, what about, he knows where we live with the, the, the liberty of worship that we have in society. See, we have free will and we can choose. I'll go to church, I won't go to church. I'll do this, I'll do that. Instead of doing what God wants us to do. What about we live in this society that's a youthful society, beauty conscience society? Maybe we live in this tolerant society today of accepting homosexuality. It's crazy. Just about every show that we turn on, Laura and I, on TV, there's homosexual couples now. It must be the, the grand thing amongst writers and producers in Hollywood, I mean Hollywood, to, to make these type of things and to promote it. And they're trying to brainwash our kids at a young age that this is normal, it's okay. And everybody's this way. No, not everybody is this way. There's less than 1% of people in the United States that are this way. We also have a tolerant society that we support abortion. Now, I know we don't, right? The church. But do we? When we go and vote at the ballot box? Well, I believe with everything this person. I know they kill babies, but uh, you know, I've always been a Democrat, and Dad was a Democrat, and my grandpap was a Democrat, and I'm a Democrat. I live in southwestern Pennsylvania. I'm always going to vote for him. Well, you're going to be accountable for what you do, even your vote, when you stand before God. You see, it matters. We can't tolerate these things. Would we tolerate somebody killing somebody? And people saw it, witnessed it, signed papers, maybe even paid money. Those people would be in jail either for the rest of their lives or they'd, they'd go and be executed. But we allow it to happen with the babies in the womb. Okay, I'll move on. He knows we live in an alcohol, drug, saturated society. Jesus, he may rebuke us for being lukewarm like Laodicea due to the society that we live in. Chapter 3, verse 16. Or being too tolerant due to the society we live in. Or for being molded by the society we live in instead of us trying to mold the society and change the society and set the pace for the society that we live in. You see, it's easy to do this since the world tolerates anything. But a real Christian, they don't tolerate a real Christian, do they? We're the bad guys. They're going to have hate speech against us. We're bigots. They're going to come after us. Why? Because we're standing for the truth and moral absolutes and what's right and what's wrong. Just watch. The day's coming. You know, Jesus can easily give us an assessment of our situation today. Remember who he is in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read again here what John saw as he turned around. I'm going to change some of the pronouns here with Jesus' name or with John's. Then John turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. And after turning, he saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, 
I saw one like the Son of Man. He saw Jesus. Clothed in a robe reaching to the floor and, and wrapped around his chest was a golden sash and his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been heated to a glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters and in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels, the messengers, if they're evangelists, or if they're elders of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Ephesus, and Smyrna, and Laodicea, and Philadelphia and all the different churches that we mentioned, Thyatira. And then he goes and starts with Ephesus there in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, To the angel, to the messenger of the church at Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars, who holds those messengers in his right hand, and the one who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands, the one who's walking amongst his churches. Jesus is here walking amongst his church today. And he says this. You see, Jesus is still in the midst of his church today. To each of the seven churches, he says, I know your deeds. So as we conclude this series of messages, let's think about some of these things. First off, Let's think about Christ knowing our deeds, our works, and take warning. Jesus knew different things about the different churches. He knew their poverty if they were, they were poor. And he said, yeah, maybe you're poor earthly things, but you're rich as far as spiritual things and going to heaven and godly things. He knows, I know your labors. I know the persecutions you're going through. I know the tribulations that you're going through. In fact, he knows all about his church. Absolutely nothing is hidden from him. He knows what we do or what we don't do. What we do, it proves a lot about our faith. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 18 says, What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister without clothing and in need of daily food, and the one, one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warm, be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. 
You see, what we do proves a lot about our faith. Do we have faith in works? What we do proves a lot about really knowing God or not. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. See, we can deny God with our actions or with our inactions. He knows our deeds. What we do proves a lot about where we're headed. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. The story there that Jesus tells about him being on the judgment seat. And what's he do? He commends the righteous for giving him a drink and clothes and visiting him and so on. And the unrighteous not helping those in need. You see, the unrighteous were condemned to hell with the devil and his angels. But the righteous were told that they would have everlasting life. You see, what we do proves a lot about the reward we will receive. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Each one's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work, which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. We need to make no mistake. Jesus knows you. He knows the church here. You see, his eye is upon the sparrow. But it's on you too, yo buzzard. He's watching. He knows. You can't slip anything past him because he knows and he sees everything. How much love for Jesus do you show by what you're doing for him? Secondly, let's think about Christ knowing our circumstances and take comfort. Jesus knew the situation that the seven churches were in. Confusion of claims of apostleship by some who were not. Chapter 2, verse 2. I know your deeds and your labor and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. And you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test. And they are not. They're not apostles. And you found them to be false some may have been confused, but some there at Ephesus, they weren't confused at all. They said, hmm, these people matching up to God's word? I know the apostles would be. And these guys, wait a second, they keep do, saying this, but they're eliminating this, 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 and this. They're not going far enough. Or, ooh, they're going too far, and they're saying this, 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 and this, that the Bible doesn't say. You see, he knows the situation. What about persecution of others? He says, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander, some of them were being slandered by those who say they're Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He knows our situation, that some 
lived in the Satan's seat. Verse 13 of chapter 2. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold firmly to my name, and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. He knows our situation, that some follow Jezebel, who entices them to sin. Chapter 2, verse 20. It says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate. Why are they tolerating her? If they know she's doing wrong, rebuke her. But you tolerate the woman Jezebel. who She calls herself a prophetess. No one else is calling her a prophetess. She says, I'm a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants, Christians, astray so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Remember this Jezebel woman was getting them to go to the idol's temple, make sacrifices to these false gods, getting them to be involved in these perversions at the temple, getting them to eat the food that they're sacrificing to the temples. And uh, he's saying, you tolerate this woman. Don't tolerate her, rebuke her. She doesn't want to change, carry out church discipline on her. If that doesn't work, kick her out of the church so that she's not leading others to sin. You see, he knows the situation. He knows we worship in freedom. You see, we have free will to obey God and to do his word. Amen. We should be wanting to do that. But, we also have freedom. We can do what we want. And many in the world and society and even in the church do what they want, what they decide. But we are going to be without an excuse because we have the books of the Bible here that are going to judge us one day. You see, he knows what we're tolerating. He knows the level of our obedience. Jesus knows what we're enduring if it's apathy or the abortion battle or this worship of freedom and choice, this worship of youth, this worship of beauty, this worship of wealth, this worship of pleasure, of sex and drugs and drinking. But we must endure and take comfort that Jesus is aware of what is going on in our life and what we're battling. Thirdly, let's think about Christ knowing our attitudes and actions and adjust them if necessary. If we're not matching up to the word, let's fix it. We have time right now to fix it, to repent. You see, some were good in these churches, but some were not good. Some were apathetic and lukewarm. They tolerated sins. But there were others who hated sin did not defile themselves with sin, would not tolerate false teachers. And some of them had self-centered attitudes. Self-centered attitudes, again, are still prevalent today. Humanism has taught us that we're God, that there are no moral absolutes. You see, they just want God out of the picture. Why? Because if God's out of the picture, or if his word's out of the picture, then I don't have to make any changes. 
And what I think or what I feel, that's the standard. I can do what I want. You see, pride and arrogance has taken God's place or Jesus' place or his word's place. But we must adjust. Philippians 2, 5 says this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. Jesus had an attitude. And it was a good attitude, being obedient to the Father and doing His will. And we need to have that same attitude in our lives. That we're going to be obedient to Jesus. We're going to follow in His footsteps. We're going to do what His Word teaches and instructs us. Fourthly, let's think about the promises He makes. And hold on to hope. What promises? What promises did he give to the seven churches? To Ephesus, he told them if they overcame, they'd be able to eat from the tree of life. To Smyrna, he told them, gave them the promise if they overcame, they'd not be hurt by the second death or hell. To Pergamos, he told them the promise. If they overcame, they'd be able to eat from the hidden manna. They'd have some good spiritual nourishment that they could bite their teeth into. Also, the church at Thyatira was given the promise if they were overcomers, they'd have power over the nations. The church of Sardis, they were given the promise if they overcame, that they would be clothed in white. They'd have Jesus' white washed robes washed with his precious blood. The church of Philadelphia, they were given the promise that they'd be made like a pillar. Remember? When earthquakes and all these things happened, everything fell, but what was the last thing always standing? It was the pillar. It was strong. You can go over there in those Bible lands now, and you'll see those pillars still laying there. They were the last thing to fell, and some of them are still standing. And also the church at Laodicea. If they were given the promise, if they would overcome, that they would be able to sit with Christ on his throne. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, For his divine power has granted to us everything to, to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lusts. You see, we've been given everything for life and godliness, how we should live, how we should react, how we can overcome and he's granted us these precious, magnificent promises. And you know, if we have those things, we ought to be telling those things to others so that they may have these things also. You know, God is faithful. What he says he will do, he does. So the hope isn't in, I, I hope so. You know, I, I hope this happens, but it's a, I'm sure it's going to happen. This is going to happen. 
This is the promise he made. This beyond a shadow of a doubt. Take it to the bank. It's going to happen. That's the kind of hope and promises that he gives us. It will transpire. It will take place. We may just have to be patient and wait. But someday it's going to happen. As he said. And promises. You know they motivate us to be overcomers. Revelation 12, 10 and 11 says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown down. The one who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because... Like that... Southwestern PA, because, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of the testimony of the eyewitnesses and what they wrote. And they didn't love their life, even if faced with death. Are we that strong that even if we were told, you need to deny Jesus or I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to deny Jesus. Okay, I'm going to blow your wife's head off. Are you going to deny Jesus? What are you going to do if that day comes? It says they did not love their life even when faced with death. Why? Because this life is not all there is. True life is where God is in Christ. Eternal life. Forever and ever. In glory. In heaven. In the celestial realm. And we want to live forever and ever there. In heaven. We don't want to live forever and ever and ever there. In the second death. The lake of fire. In hell. No. As we close this series, we look again at Jesus' basic message. He says, remember, repent, return, do so or risk having your lampstand removed. He commands us, then he condemns us, if, if that's what we deserve, or he commends us. He corrects us. So we need to take heed. If you are living for this world instead of for the next. You need to take heed if you are a self-righteous person. You need to take heed if you are neglecting salvation in Jesus Christ. You need to take heed if you are a careless member of the Lord's church. You need to take heed if you are a hider of your talents and you're not using them. You need to take heed if you are content playing religion like it's some type of game. You need to take heed if you judge by man's standards. You see, as a church, if these things characterize us, Christ may remove our lampstand. Revelation 2.5 says, Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I will remove 
your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But you know what's nice about that? We have time to repent. We have time to fix it. If we look and we say, oh, well, I'm not doing that. Oh, I can do better there. Oh, I need to do this. Start doing it. Start repenting. Start changing. Learn and grow. Get those around you as a circle of friends and people that are going to encourage you and motivate you and help you to be an overcomer and to deal with these things. As a church, if these things characterize us, he may spit us out of his mouth. Revelation 3.16 says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We don't want him to remove our lampstand. We don't want him to vomit us out of his mouth, to spit us out. We want to be those who are commended and doing the best that we can. Even though it may seem that everybody in the world's against us, that it's only me, like Elijah thought. And God came and said, uh-uh, I'm still with you. And there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There's still others that believe the way you do. They may need your word of encouragement. They may need you to stand up. And then that will help them to stand up and get a little backbone and do what's right. Before it is too late. So be encouraged. Be all that you can be for Jesus. That's what he was telling these seven churches here. Revelation 21.7 says, The one who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. At the end of the book, again, he tells us that we have the victory here. If we overcome, if we overcome Satan and sin and the world, and what false religion and all the things that he may throw at us, and we become overcomers, we will inherit all the good things that He's planned and prepared for us in eternity. In conclusion, what would MCC's letter say? This is serious. We need to do the soul surgery now. We need to think about this now before it's too late. What does it say? I love it that the the good news is the letter's still being written. And we can keep doing good and we can keep advancing. We can keep making improvements and repenting and changing our direction and moving in the right direction. And that's wonderful. But what's that letter saying? I hope it's saying good things. And we're being commended. But if not, let's change. Let's do what we have to so that we are. You may be sitting here today and say, I'm not a Christian. I've never been obedient to the gospel. I'm not a member of Christ's church. Well, if not, why not now? Why not today? Accept Christ. Accept what he did for you, paying for your sins on Calvary. 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you do, will you confess that before men? And he said that he'll confess you before the Father who's in heaven. And will you repent? Will you turn from this world and from sin and from the false religions and the things that Satan tries to get you to do and turn and start following Jesus and walking in his footsteps and going down that straight and narrow way towards heaven, towards life? And will you be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Acts 2, verse 38. And that's just the beginning. That's when you become a Christian. Then you, you need to live a faithful, dedicated, committed life until the end to receive the crown of life that was talked about there in Revelation 2.10. If you're here today and you're ready to become a Christian, don't delay. Don't wait. 